welcome to the Dow of Wow, a podcast about the intersection of technology, society, and internet culture with a dash of philosophy and art for good measure. I am Laura Hilliger. And I'm Doug Belshaw. This podcast season is currently unfunded, so you can support this podcast and other We Are Open projects that we will no doubt talk about on this podcast, um, as well as other products at opencollective.com forward slash we are open. So Laura, what are we talking about today? Well, do you remember a couple of weeks ago when you asked me for something and I was like, no, Doug, you're messing with my militant planning. And you were like, is that the right use of the word militant? And then we were distracted for 15 minutes. Yes. Okay. So this is what office workers might call a water cooler conversation. And I was thinking... Maybe we should have a talk about what it's like to work remotely, because both you and I have been working remotely for the majority of our careers. But doesn't everyone know what it's like to work remotely now, because everyone's had to work remotely during the pandemic? Well, I think that everybody has some kind of experience of working remotely, but I wonder about the efficiency of that remote work, the efficacy of it, whether or not people are, you know, missing the office if they feel empowered while they're working remotely. And, you know, I just think that we're... I'm going to I'm gonna do a typology of different types of remote work. Here we go. Off the top of my head. And it's going to be in threes. We've been doing a lot of threes recently in it's, our work, haven't yes, we? Yes, it's been very annoying. Number one, right? People like you and me who worked remotely before, by choice, before the pandemic. Number two, people who worked remotely during the pandemic really liked it and want to work remotely after the pandemic too. And then option three, or type three, people who worked remotely during the pandemic and didn't like it and can't wait to get back to the office. Oh, and option four, people who want to do a bit of both. Okay. There we go. Which category do you fit into, dear listener? I was waiting for. We can't wait for a answer. response, Laura, because no one's going <laughs> would be here all day. Anyway, let's let's just keep that in mind. There's going to be different people listening to this, etc. Yeah. So, Doug, tell hmm. me about the last time that you worked in an office or in a university or not remotely. How long ago was it, and what was it like? What do you remember? Oh, this is a really interesting question. So the last time I worked in an office was as a consultant with City and Guild. And so from when I left Mozilla in 2015 until 2016, pretty much every week I went down to London for two days a week and I worked in an office, big open plan office in the center of London next to the kind of financial district. Um, What was it like? I felt like people were always watching me work and when you're doing knowledge work, what does knowledge work even look like? Like sitting in front of a computer doing stuff, you could be playing a game, you could be doing a spreadsheet, you could be doing whatever. It all looks the same. It's not like digging a hole. Actually, so I felt very, very like observed. This is a really interesting point because um, Anna, our intern, I have a weekly check-in with her to see how, how she's doing. She's on vacation at the moment. Hi, Anna, if you're listening. Um, she told me recently, so she works remotely with us as we all do. Mm. Um, and her office space is in her room in a shared flat with a bunch of roommates. 
Um, and all day she's got her headphones on and she's, you know, doing stuff on the computer. And last week when we had our weekly check-in, she said to me, how do you get people to stop thinking that you're not doing anything and that you're not engaged just because you're home? Um, and she was talking about the mm. fact that when she's, you know, she's in a room, she's working on her computer, but her roommates are still interrupting her. They don't understand that just because she's home doesn't mean that she's available, basically. I think that's really interesting. So my wife, as you know, Laura, um, now works for the NHS digital team um, on the 111 service as a user researcher. And she started that in what, July. And before that, she was kind of she still is the administrator for our co-op, et cetera. Before that, she was a primary school teacher. It took a long time, and I'm talking years, before she stopped just walking into my office and saying some stuff and interrupting me. Because, like, it's obvious if you're on a call, like we're talking now, someone can see through the window, oh, he's talking. But, like, disturbing someone when they're mid-flow, like you were this morning, for example, you were absolutely off on one, um, you should be able to choose kind of how much you want to be disturbed, I think. And remote work is great for getting in the zone. Um, I, you can turn off Slack, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and I definitely think that for me, it has taken a lot of time for me to learn how to deal with the interruptions. So like the flip mm. side of it, you know, you don't want to be biting off uh, somebody's head just because they say something to you. Um, but actually I've trained myself at this point when I'm mid flow working remotely on my computer and somebody doesn't understand where my brain space is and comes to interrupt me and says something, I have trained myself to be able to not react to that interruption, not break my oh. flow and wait mm. until my flow has a, like a natural end. And so, mm. you know, like friends of mine who are very close to me or my partner, um, they know that when they come in and inter interrupt me and I don't say anything, I'm not being rude. I'm waiting until Just that natural yeah. flow. Yeah. But it but took training some... on both sides for sure. Yeah. Because I think there's, there's, you know, when we talk about not wanting to, um, switch between different clients, we've got a different work we've got during a day, there's that, but also I think there was some kind of research which showed that it can often take like 20 minutes to get fully back into the zone that you're in if you have an interruption. And if you think about normal office work, if you're trying to do some kind of deep work and you've got, I don't know, meetings, and then you've got an hour in between a meeting or whatever, mm -hmm. and you get disrupted a couple of times, you're not going to get any deep work done. It's This is why I love working remotely. I love traveling and going to and meeting people in, per in, in person and doing all that. But like my default working remotely is great. When was the last time you were in an office, Laura? Because I think it might have been longer ago than me. Well, as you can see from my background, technically I'm in an office right now, but this is my this is private remote work space, uh, which is something else we can talk about working from home versus uh, working remotely in a non-home space. Um, but yeah. So just just pause there then. So why why do you choose on some days, and how many days is it, um, to go and work in your space that you pay for. Mm -hmm. It's not like you're being paid to be there. You're paying for that space and you're choosing to work there instead of in your home. So just talk about that. Well, so it's a little different now because of the pandemic. Um, I used to come to the office every day, the paid, my paid private office. I share with two other people who are remote workers. 
Um, we don't work together. We have nothing, you know, we just know each other and it's a nice office. So we share the space. But basically, if we mm. say anything the entire week, it's, do you want a coffee? And that's about <laughs> it. Uh, every once in a while, we say hello or goodbye, but we don't, you know, interact uh, beyond that. Um, and since the pandemic started, I've actually started sharing my office with my partner more. Um, so sometimes I work from my home office. Sometimes uh, I work from this office. Sometimes we trade. Um, and the reason that I have, but I've had an external office for the last 15 years because I find that it is good for me psychologically to create some space between my home personal life and my professional life and profile. Mm. Like I, I, I need, I need to walk away from the desk. I need to put client work aside. I need to understand that my identity on the internet is not my full identity and that there's a piece of me that is not actually public, that isn't mm. uh, professional. Mm. So. Oh, interesting. So for me, I've got, um, I've got my house. There's like a, it's a terraced house. So there's like a shared back lane. And then my office, my home office is in a, in a converted garage. So it's about six steps from my back door to the, the door of my office. But, and some, some days that's not enough space. Yeah. But most of the time it's quite nice because I only have certain things in my office I don't have them on my phone, for example, mm, or, same. Um, you know, like work email or whatever. So you're going to your work email. It's a physical kind of, of thing. Um, so that's interesting. And I, I wonder how many people do that, have been able to do that during the pandemic if they're transitioning. Um, let me ask the you. The thing though, I wanted to mention about working be- in office. Let me ask you about being so close, like six steps away. Oh, yeah. Um, When you go in the house for lunch, Mm. do you feel the psychological switch? Do you like, are you able to? No, I'm actually, no, I'm in and out of the house quite often, actually. So, Mm -hmm. for example, I'll start off the the day, I'll go in and get a coffee, I'll come back and I'll maybe walk upstairs because my wife's office is in now in the the attic next to our bedroom. Um, I'll come back, I'll be for lunch and I've been that so I'm in and out the house probably at least three four times mm-hmm. during the working day um so yeah there isn't that psychological separation it's interesting mm-hmm. and some days um if I'm feeling like you know when you have a commute so how long is your commute between your office and your home about it takes me six minutes with a bicycle right so but that's enough time to be able to kind of decompress a little bit whatever I can remember, and I'm going to talk about this a little bit as well, working at the university in Newcastle, it would be 20, 30 minutes in the car on the train. In that amount of time, you've got time to listen to a podcast. You've got time to do something else in between home and work. Um, Think different thoughts, you know, decompress, do all that kind of stuff. So there have been some times when I've worked where I've literally gone and grabbed my coat and done a commute, in inverted commas, when I didn't need to, <laughs> like yeah. I've gone for a walk around um, my hometown and then come back home just because I needed to decompress. But just going back to the university one, um, one thing, if you've got any kind of needs, psychological, physical, whatever, working from home is great because you can set up your office exactly how you want it. So some people know, I think you know, Laura, that I've I've got extremely sensitive eyes. I've got very blue eyes, very thin corneas. Um, and I'm affected by like 
different kinds of light. Uh, a good example of that would be fluorescent lights. I see the flickering. Mm-hmm. When I worked at the university, I was literally on the disabled register so that I could sit next to a window because I needed the natural light. At home, I don't need to be on a disabled register. I can just set up my office. I can change the lighting. No one else is in here. I can do whatever I want um, to, to be set up exactly for me. And that's why remote working works extremely well for me. So I found an article um, on the Harvard Business Review. It was uh, published in 2018, so pre-pandemic. And the Harvard Business Review found that 33% of knowledge workers uh, were remote in 2018. And I thought that was a really interesting statistic because I feel like Um, which is apparently not backed up in data. (laughs) But I feel like, um, you know, you and I and a lot of people in our networks have been working remotely before remote was a thing at all, um, Mm. which is partially true. But then when I saw that it was already like 33% in 2018, I was actually, I thought that that was rather high. Um, And I was kind of wondering whether or not um, you think that the pandemic means that all like a lot of industries are going to start embracing uh, remote work whether you know what do you think the trend is because it's really easy to say oh yeah you know the pandemic made it so that everybody uh, wants to be remote but the reality is is that remote work is a specific set of skills and competencies yeah absolutely and so there's some things which get bandied around I think some of them are kind of myths and I think some of them might have some truth in them. So let's just go go through them, for example. Number one, research shows that remote workers are more productive. Well, for me, I can absolutely believe that. How about you? Uh, yeah, but I think that there's like a shadow side to that statistic, mm. um, which is about, you know, if, like I've read things where it said that remote workers are more productive, you know, because they don't, they're not interrupted as much, but they also have a harder time turning off Um, So a lot of people who are working out of their homes, and we've certainly seen this during the pandemic, Mm. like people have a hard time shutting down for the day. There's just one more email to write. You know, they're already cooking dinner and they have a thought about work that pops in and then they go and deal with it immediately. And so that, that remote workers are more productive. I think the shadow side is they're so productive that they don't create good boundaries and they end up burning out. Mm. No, that's a good point. The, one of the reasons that people, and right now is interesting, I was reading a, a thing by Anne Helen Peterson, I think is her name, Culture Study, and she was talking about this is the time when people are thinking about getting people back to the office. Either they're saying now immediately or in January or whatever. And it's interesting seeing the rationale as to why you want people to go back to the office if you're a manager. And mm-hmm. she was talking about kind of command and control But the reason that they give, and this is the reason that they talk about having open plan offices, they don't talk about the cost savings. They say, well, it's all about serendipity. It's all about um, kind of chance interactions. But you can can kind of create that serendipity remotely as well, can't you? And the example I'd give would be, I talked about my wife working for the NHS digital team. On their Slack, they have some kind of plugin or extension, which if you go onto that channel and you opt in, you can randomly get paired with someone to go and have a a coffee with. It's not like bumping into people physically in an office is the only way in which you can generate serendipity or chance interactions. So I have, I have problems 
with that, I'd say. What I do think that this article does have a good point about, the author is Dan Shawbell, who is partner and research director at Future Workplace and the founder of both Millennial Branding and WorkplaceTrends.com. He is author of Back to Human, How Great Leaders Create Connection in the Age of Isolation. I do feel, and I don't think you can get away from, isolation that you feel as a remote worker. How do you feel about that? I completely disagree. Really? Yes. Oh, interesting. Uh, This is really interesting. Um, No, I do not feel isolated as a remote worker. And I think it's because there are things that are built into my working week that mean that I always have contact with people. Um, So for example, at the co-op, we have a weekly meeting on Mondays where we talk about all the stuff there is to to do for the week. We align our schedules. In the last months, we've had uh, enough work on that we've you know, that multiple members have been involved in that we've met up, talked. Mm. Um, I have people, you know, because I'm an expat and I live in Germany, although I'm an American, I have um, the, the vast majority of my interactions with other human beings is via technology. Yeah, I've got friends locally. I love them. I cherish them. I have real people in my life that show up in a place and a time and that's not supported by technology. However, for the last 15 years, the majority of my interactions are via text, email, online meetings, et cetera. And so I I don't feel isolated in, you know, in work at all. Maybe we're using the word isolated in a different way. Maybe it's just that I need more um, IRL friends. Maybe that's what it is. <laughs> Do you not have any IRL friends? <laughs> <laughs> maybe all my friends are online. Um, I don't know. But I, maybe we're using the word isolated in, in a different way. Yeah, I certainly feel very connected to you and other members of the co-op and that kind of stuff. Um, I guess I feel when you've got, you know, when you go out for beers after work, mm-hmm. I miss that. Maybe it's not isolation. Maybe there's certain things that I miss from working together um, and being physically in the same place as people. I do miss that. I think that if I had the choice, I would probably do a day or two in an office, in inverted commas, and like three or four days at home. Well, I definitely, Um, you know, I definitely notice since the pandemic that part of my professional life has fallen to the wayside, is gone, and it's um, a bit unsettling. So pre-pandemic, I was doing so much travel um, to, to various places. I did a lot of keynotes. I did a lot of workshops. I had team meetings and meetups. And so, you know, every every six weeks or so, there was an in-real-life event. Yeah of some sort that allowed me to bring my professional persona to, to a group of people in real life. And Mm. it's actually really interesting because right before the pandemic, I was traveling two or three times a month, um, Mm. for like, you know, the year before the pandemic, there was just a lot going on and I was getting really tired of all of the, you know, showing up to in real life events and doing Mm. keynotes and talking to people and constantly being, professional Laura on all the time. And right before the pandemic, like the beginning of 2020, I had made a promise to myself to start saying no to more huh. in real life events. And I, I basically had two events in January of 2020 and then the pandemic hit and like 
I haven't been anywhere since. No events mm-hmm. since. Mm-hmm. I haven't had my mm-hmm. first welcome back to the real world thing. And yeah, it's interesting. that so is got, isolating. <laughs> yeah, I definitely, I definitely. So maybe it is that. Maybe it's the fact that you and I were traveling at least every month to some kind of event and meeting people and getting energy from that and being able to show expertise and learn new things and meet new people and all that kind of stuff. I definitely miss that. Um, yeah, maybe I'm confusing that or conflating that with the daily grind of going to the office. Um, but I'm going for the, so I, my last event was March, 2020. I went to open Belgium in Belgium and it was weird. Cause on the way back, I went, my, my wife, Hannah came with me and on the way back, it was the first time I was seeing anyone wear masks at the airport. Mm-hmm. Um, Anyway, so since then, I haven't traveled professionally anywhere. I'm going over to the Netherlands next month. And it's very interesting because obviously for us in the UK, Brexit, the impact of Brexit has happened during the pandemic as well. So now we're treated as almost, we're treating as foreigners on the continent. Um, So the whole thing is like quite, feels quite fraught and quite different than just hopping over to Amsterdam like before. Yeah. That open Belgium, was that the one that was in the uh, abandoned prison? That's right, yeah. I really wanted to go to that. And I said, we were going to go together. And I said, no, for some reason. I think I might have maybe, I don't know why, but yeah, I'm still jealous. It was really interesting. So the main, yeah, the the cells had been repurposed for little workspaces (laughs) and whatever. They've done it very nicely. Yeah. So where should we go from here? Uh, You asked me a few minutes ago what my last uh, office, like the last time I was properly in an office. And I would like to answer that question because um, the only time that I really consider that I was like in an office was when I was like, I don't know, 18, 19 years old. I worked for a company called MozTech, which essentially installed all of the tech um, for cable companies. So splitters, Mm. transformers, these kinds of things on city streets. Um, And I had this awesome job when I was 18 and still in school um, where I basically had to take these big city maps and color in little triangles and little circles with specific colors, depending on, was it a four-way splitter? Was it a two-way splitter? You know, was, was it an electric, Mm. uh, transmitter, whatever. Um, and I had to do this by deciphering construction crew handwriting. So they would send, they sent handwritten pieces of paper from all over the United States to the corporate office where I worked And I had to decipher the handwriting and color maps. I was basically a cable cop with a crayon. That was my job. (laughs) Cable cop with a crayon. Yeah. And I had a, it was a proper nine to five. And it was basically like, if you've ever seen the series, The Office, it was very Mm. much like The Office. The boss was like a total crazy pants who had a Ducati um, and all of the workers, you know, all of the cable cops with crayons, we were, you know. We were all between 18 and 22 and going out for beers at lunch and, you know, Mm. creating uh, havoc in the parking lot and these kinds of things. Um, And I, when I think back to that time, I hated that job. Like when when I was in the moment, it was Mm. like, ugh, this is so beneath me, nine to five. Oh, I'm wasting my potential kind of stuff, but I needed the money. Um, And now looking back to it, I kind of wish that I could like recreate that experience because looking back, it was actually really fun, low responsibility, Mm. low accountability and the office banter 
was hilarious. Like really good person to person kind of but yeah. You only you only appreciate things in ret- these things in retrospect, and you're probably forgetting all of the days where it was so boring and all that kind of yeah. stuff as well. But yeah, there is definitely something about, you know, human interaction. And you've put a link actually in here about, well, it's on the Buffer blog. And I've always been impressed with Buffer um, as an organization in terms of having transparent pay. And um, I think they pay the same salary no matter where you are in the country or world or whatever. And they've got um, building deliberate praise into remote culture, six methods we use at Buffer. And this is pre-pandemic. This is five years ago in Mm -hmm. 2016. So it'd be interesting to see what they did during the pandemic. But um, there's one thing in here which basically takes Maslow's hierarchy of of needs and they've turned it into Maslow's hierarchy of leads. I don't know if that's just a mistranslation or something. Um, But so they've got survival at the bottom of the pyramid, food, water, sleep, safety, economic and physical security, then love and belonging, esteem, and then self-actualization at the top. So self-actualization they say is challenge, opportunity, learning, and creativity. And what's interesting is that they um, align this with kind of company strategy. So like safety is compensation and benefits, like getting paid for what you're doing so you can live. But then love and belonging and esteem is under modern recognition. And then self-actualization, they're calling career and development opportunities. And what I think is really interesting about this is that I think you've read this book as well by Dan Pink called Drive and how the reason that people show up and like are motivated at work isn't because they're paid more for most people. And that's like table stakes. It's about recognition. Um, And I guess this is six ways in which you can show recognition at a a distance and bringing in praise. I also think that um, in remote cultures or even actually even in-person organizations um, or in office or a mix of both. I think that um, positive reinforcement is something that generally falls to the wayside. Like people don't think about it. You know, the the, the common way to interact with people is when, uh, and you see this in like user research and stuff, like people complain more than they um, offer a compliment, right? So like, For sure, yeah. you know, you're more like, if you have a survey on your website, um, you're probably going to skew your results towards the negative, whatever, mm. you know, whatever you're trying to figure out, because people will generally fill out, you know, a review when they're upset. And like, this is just, you know, part, part and partial. To but it's also review. human nature. If I'm going to, for example, when you ask, mm. or I ask for kind of you to, to look at a blog post I've written, but it's on Google Docs. Sometimes we forget to say, this is amazing. Mm-hmm. And we just go straight into, oh, you've got a typo, they've done this and whatever. Yep. And even if you get loads of positive feedback, you're always psychologically on the lookout for, you know, the negative comment. It's funny, isn't it? Yeah, but I think, I mean, I think that like in reference to this um, buffer post here, like I really like the idea of being deliberate in the way that you um, praise. So we've had... Uh, I call it the uh, the crap sandwich where you um, give a compliment and then say something like negative and then give another compliment. Like this is kind mm. of a common shit way sandwich. to. Yeah. yeah, I didn't want to say shit sh- sandwich because yesterday when I used a curse word in the other podcast that we were on, everybody was like, oh, my God, I can't believe you cursed. 
<laughs> no, you gave us permission. And also, this okay. this is not even pretending to be a family-friendly podcast. So oh, whatever. good. So, well, yes. I, but I said crap sandwich, so I got us out of the... <laughs> yeah, but the thing is, in British English, crap sandwich means like, it's a sandwich that isn't very good, whereas a shit sandwich... Oh, well, It's also yeah. a sandwich that isn't... Anyways. No, a shit sandwich is like, I would say, if you said, oh, it's a bit of a shit sandwich, you wouldn't be saying, I don't like the lettuce in that sandwich. You'd be saying oh, someone just gave praise, you know, a kick up the arse and then praise again. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyways, uh, my point was, (laughs) my point was, I think that um, we like, especially in a remote environment, we need to train ourselves to, to remember all of the things that are missing um, when we are giving feedback. So, you know, when you walk into a room to give somebody negative feedback, you might like your body language, your tone of voice, all of these things are going to reinforce that you like that person as a person. I mean, unless you're just being a huge jerk. Um, but Mm. you, you know, the way that you show up at work when you give feedback in a physical reality is, is different than when you're typing it. Right. And so I think, you know, with remote work, one of the things that I've learned over the last 15 years is a, uh, to be quite, you know, to review what I've written before sending, obviously, because people take wrong things, you know, the wrong way, but also to, you know, when I feel my emotions get hot because of something somebody else wrote to check myself and to like really Mm. think about that person uh, and whether or not what they're trying to do is to help me with my work or to actually be constructive in their criticism or, you know, if they're basically trying to throw one at me. So this morning, um, I'll not get into details, but I was sharing with you how I was kind of all of all stirred up emotionally and I didn't feel like like I, I felt rationally that I should be able to deal with stuff, but I was so annoyed by this particular situation, like outside of work. Um and what it reminded me was how difficult sometimes it is to convey positive emotion at a distance. It's easy to convey negative emotion in any kind of situational channel, but conveying positive emotion can be quite difficult without going over the top and what we British people would say, going all American. Um, <laughs> Whoa. Okay. <laughs> now hold up a second. What does that mean? Is that like the plastic happy that Americans put on? Like everything's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Well, there is a reason yeah, I'm we... an expat and it has a lot to do with the way that servers are in the United States. Oh my God. How are you? Welcome yeah, to Chili's. Anyway. Um, yeah. So what I find so I've told the story a bazillion times and probably several times on this podcast. But when I worked at the university for JISC in higher education, I was working with people in the office, physically, face-to-face, none of whom had a problem with me, all rated me highly with anonymous feedback, whatever. Um, then there were people who I were working at a distance with who I worked with all the time, and then there were people beyond that, Yeah. The people beyond that didn't have a problem with me. Mm-hmm. The people in the office working with me face-to-face didn't have a problem with me. The people who I dealt with all the time, remotely, who I didn't meet, had a problem with me, saying that I came across as aggressive. I literally started putting emojis into my email, and everyone said how I changed. <laughs> yeah. So you'll notice now I always put smileys and stuff into my emails. Because sometimes if it's just text, 
you don't know how that's being communicated by the person who's sending the the message or the email. Yeah. Whereas if you put a little smiley face in, if you ever see me not put a smiley face in, I'm probably pissed off. That is, you shouldn't have told me that. Now every time, <laughs> I mean, because you you write me stuff all the time. There's not always a smiley, and a lot of times no, well, I'm just like, different. he doesn't it's mean it. He it's this. different with you because I talk to you all the time on video it's and true. stuff. But you know what I mean, like. People who you're just emailing now and again, but yeah, you're yeah, on a reasonably regular basis. Yeah, it's, it is really Shall hard. Shall we go through this? Sorry, go on. Oh, I was just going to say it is really, it's hard in a remote environment to, um, I don't know. I think that we as human beings are very complex. And I think that it's harder in a remote environment to understand that there is more complexity to a person than what you are reading out of their text you know, or mm. seeing, because I, I have also, you know, people I've never met in real life, they think that I am also a, quite aggressive. And I'm like, I am such a little mouse. I'm such a, no, I'm not a mouse at all. I'm yeah, such a, a nice person. All. You know, like, I really am a nice person. I try very hard not to piss people off, but I piss people off all the time. So and I think it has to do with remote work and, you know, how, like all the things people miss from my, you know, when I'm there in real life. I taught my son the term resting bitch face um, a few months ago. And now he uses that against me all the time. Huh. Um, for those listening who don't know what resting bitch face is, or RBF if you want to be more politically correct, it's like you can't help. You know when you're not smiling or frowning, but it's just the way your face is? My face apparently is quite aggressive and quite scowly. Um, and that is resting bitch face. Like just your natural demeanor. So I think you have to kind of, or I have to take that into into account. Yeah. Shall we go through these six things on the Buffer blog for those who are kind of like, yeah, that's great, Doug and Laura, but uh, give us the give us the action. Sure, let's do it. I lost a tab, but... <laughs> yeah, so, well, the first one is uh, they use discourse. Buffer uses discourse, which we've used before, forum software, you can make it private, public, and they talk about big or smaller items to celebrate. And the example they use is hip hip hooray twitter response time has plummeted and it's got loads of emojis in and basically what's happened is they're responding to people more quickly on twitter now this is fine but going again about like cultural differences if you put that on an american like an american company's forum that would probably have the effect that it's it's meant to have if you put that on a british forum people would be like oh my goodness like it seems a bit over the top for like Twitter response time. Hmm. I guess it depends on what team you're on, right? Because a social exactly. media team might actually be really excited about that. That is true. Maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. Could be. <laughs> um, what's, they don't really number these six things. So let's just try and find the next one. Um, kicking off all hands with celebrations. I guess this is all about praise. I guess the yeah. way that we do things is we check in and find out weird things about each other and about our well, it's clients, yeah. It's about it's about bringing the human into remote work. It's very easy mm -hmm. to schedule a Zoom meeting, show up and just start with the agenda, right? Like but one of the things that we do that we that we do with client meetings as well is we take a minute to check in 
as humans, mm-hmm. we always have a check-in at the beginning of our meetings. We provide space for people to to say how how are they really, not just like you know, hey, I'm here and I'm fine, but hey, this is the context that I'm coming into this meeting in. I haven't had another cup of coffee today. I'm feeling really tired. I'm, you know, I'm here, but also I'm kind of like not fully on it, you know, and providing that space for people to like actually bring their full selves to work is not only about praise, it's, it's about space, right? And so this, this post is all what about I find, praise. Yeah, and I find yeah. that really interesting because we have clients who, and specific people in the organizations we work with who are reasonably uncomfortable with that. Yeah. <coughs> well, this, uh, this has and, to do with that. What? Sorry, go ahead. <coughs> some of them, and I think I've seen this recently with one of our clients, some of them like open up and relax into it over time. And I can remember my reaction. So literally 2017, we got outlandish to do some, some work with Moodle, like a design sprint. And they did this sociocratic design sprint. And one of the people at Outlandish said, is it all right if we check in? And they checked in saying that they'd had a, an argument with one of their parents and how they were feeling about that. And I was just like, oh, I feel super uncomfortable now. But after a while of doing that, like everyone doing that and sharing stuff that they actually felt like, it completely changed the way that you interact because you're actually interacting as human beings rather than as roles or as, yeah, everything's fine. Let's just get on with it. Um, and I really appreciate that. And it's only been, if you think about it, the last four years, but it's felt a lot longer than that. That's yeah. good. I think there's, there's something interesting here about um, power dynamics. So, you know, because we've been, you know, trying to bring our whole selves to work for a really long time because we understand the nuances of working in a virtual environment. And also, you know, because like I personally have been doing creative work for a really long time and creative creative work tends to put me in contact with people who are a little bit more uh, right brain than left brain, I guess I would say. They just, Mm. um, yeah, I... I don't know how to describe it without... Um... It's less... Uh, the left brain's more rational and scientific and, like, process. Right. And right brain's more creative and chaotic and whatever. Yeah, and I think that maybe in my career, I've just had more to do with the creative, chaotic folks. Um, mm. And so every once in a while, you know, I show up and, and do a check-in with a client where most of the people in the room are um, a, a bit more buttoned up, a bit more rational and uh, Mm. logical and they also have that sort of a hard time to kind of like release themselves uh, as you know in into the moment it's trust as well though isn't it because if you don't Mm -hmm. trust the person that you're offloading to or explaining you people can use that against you you know because one thing that we haven't talked about at all is office politics and I would love to see a study you know one of the things I wanted to talk to uh, wanted to mention as a result of that HBR article was that it talks about opportunities for advancement, i.e. getting promoted, is less likely, they say, um, if you work remotely. So if you're already in a senior position, working remotely is fine. But if you're more junior and you're looking to get promoted, you need to be in the office um, impressing your boss. Yeah, you got to play the game. I can see that. I can see that, right? But I wonder in terms of office politics and backstabbing and all that kind of stuff and audit trails and emails and whatever, I wonder, and the gossiping and the and the backbiting, I wonder if that's more or less, or if it's just the same remotely versus in an office. 
I think I think there are some people who don't want to play that game. I think they're becoming more and more and more. And I think that, that the office politics, power dynamics, got to climb the corporate ladder, blah, 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 is a really kind of old school, traditional way of looking at business. And there's a lot of businesses that, that do this. But like for me personally, I think that part of the reason that I've been successful in my career is because I never really cared so much about climbing a ladder. Or actually I did at one point and I totally fell off of it and I like, you know, smashed my face up. <laughs> um, but the places where I was successful in, in my career had to do with that bringing my authentic self to work and the work that I actually did, not with how, you know, how I presented myself, not with how, what I wore, you know, it was, it was about how I thought that's where I've had success. And, you know, for me, when I tried to play the game, like, I, yeah, I didn't like it. It's not that I couldn't do it. We were talking yesterday, we were talking about parasocial and I admitted to having a set of skills that allows me to work, walk into a room and kind of see uh, how I might be of benefit to others, um, which could be negatively uh, explained as how I can mm. use people, which is how you explained it yesterday. Um, well, I was being funny, but yes. <laughs> yeah, but I, but I... Uh, I lost my train of thought. I don't know where I really where I'm going. I'm, I just think, I think that office politics maybe hit their peak probably in the eighties. Um, and ever since then, you know, people have been like, I feel like when I meet people who are very clearly like politic driven, ego driven, pushing in that direction, I'm usually running the other way. Well, I'm not going to name the organization, but, um, I've already mentioned them on this podcast and they that was a very backstabby email order trail kind of culture and i didn't enjoy that very much at all mm. um one thing we haven't mentioned so far is that at the start of the pandemic we as people who have worked remotely for a long time um wanted to help the world as it were and so we've got part of our website learnwith.weareopen.coop um, we've got a course, a free email-based course. I think 190-odd people have taken it so far. Um, it's in the email inbox, and it's called The Seven Habits of Highly Successful Online Meetings. It's got some things in there that you'd expect and some things that you might not. Um, so you might expect, for example, preparation and collaboration, but you might not expect, expect things to do with privacy or um, affirmations, for example. So um, have a look at that if you haven't seen it. And it might be just teaching you things you already know, in which case you can feel um, reinforced. But it might be stuff which is new to you, or it might be things that you want to passively, aggressively send to someone else because they need to be better at, at it too. Oh, I like the take our email courses so that you can forward them in passive aggressive emails to people <laughs> that need a little help. That's a that's passive aggressive emails for the win. Yeah. I, hmm. I think listeners should also check out the other email course that we, um, that we worked on, uh, when a couple, what, a year ago or so when we were hmm. uh, working with Greenpeace, they asked us to put together some information on what it means to work openly. Uh, I think for me, working openly goes hand in hand with working at all, but also working remotely specifically because there's some specific behaviors and attitudes around working openly that work really well in a remote environment. Um, and, the, and then the other hey. thing about Learn With is there's also um, under our library, there's a bunch of tools 
that we use predominantly in remote workshops um, that really help kind of break the ice with people. So all that stuff is free. Check it out. We're going to be doing a rather large update to learn with very soon, which I'm excited about, um, but it's all available now. Hey, Laura, I'm looking at the time. I know. And I'm looking at like, well, interestingly, there's all this stuff that we could talk about automation, planning, um, yeah, backlogs, different tools that we find useful, all that kind of stuff. I almost feel like that's a separate episode. So shall we wrap things up here? And then maybe if we if we feel the spirit move us, we can do a, a take two or a round two on, on, on remote, remote work. Working. For sure. I think it would be super fun to nerd out with you because I know you and I have very different uh, processes. Um, and I think mm. there's an interesting conversation, A, about the processes themselves, but B, about conflicting processes. And yes. maybe we could actually get into an intellectual debate, which would be super fun. I am definitely up for that. So let's let's leave things on that cliffhanger. If you've got this far, congratulations. Um, We'd love to hear your your kind of thoughts about anything that we've talked about so far. You can share your thoughts on social media. You can email us. You can send us postcards. Um, However you want to get in touch is cool with us. If you're enjoying this podcast, feel free to support it and or share it. Um, And thanks for now. Thank you. 